Hey, we're doing something a little different today. Today we have the Hides with us, and we're going to talk about our book next on the Altered Podcast. So today we have the Hides with us. We say hi. Hi. It's a little awkward, isn't it? We're Yeah, I've never done this. I know. <laughs> we are not fancy. We are not in a studio. We're in our closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of awkward talking. I'm just glad I have someone here with me because normally I'm talking to my fleeces and dress shirts and uh, so it's good to have another person here. You had Eli once. I did have. We there's uncut, uncut or never released released episodes of me and Eli. I interviewed Eli on all kinds of things from Legos to like Hobbit. I don't even know. His, he was too good, so I couldn't put him on for you all to listen to because he'd steal the show. But anyway, for those of you who don't know, I wrote a book called Altered, Discovering Unforeseen Joy Through the Suffering That Has Drastically Altered Your Life. And it's out you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Um, and if you're local here in Stillwater, Oklahoma, check out Ruth's Christian Bookstore. They have copies, but they're limited, and they're doing a promotional right now. Hard covers are 40% off, and soft covers are around 15% off. But once they're gone, they're gone, and they'll order them. And then the next batch, I think, will be at list price. So if you're in town, you don't have a copy, run over there and get you a copy and support local roofs. So we're just going to hit it one chapter at a time. And the first one is chapter one, The Dream is Over. But before we get into that, it's I don't know if you remember, Heidi, but the book originally was going to be called The Face of Addiction because early on, we didn't really know what we were looking at in those early days. And I wasn't even writing a book. I was just ghostwriting for more like therapeutic reasons, kind of like journaling. Um, but then it kind of turned into a book. And that's why if you read chapter one, you see over and over a reference to the face, like Facebook or how hot, pretty Heidi's face is. <laughs> it's so soft. And um, and I'm allowed to touch your face now, but only me. The kids aren't even allowed. Because their hands are disgusting. They are pretty gross. Eli's is nasty. But anyway, so that's why there's kind of reverses to the face all throughout. Um, but then we came to realize that Heidi was not an addict. She's not an alcoholic. She suffers from borderline personality disorder, which, like any disorder, it can look like other things because it's going on on the inside, and what we were all seeing was stuff on the outside. Now that we know what it is, we've got a good handle on it. And Heidi's doing awesome, aren't you? Yes. The best I've seen you in years. You're so good, you're making me look bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we start off in the book, and uh, the first paragraph is kind of a foreshadow, obviously foreshadowing my own issues with anxiety that you can see throughout the book. But it's my... My trip down to Shawnee, Oklahoma to take you out on our first, first date. What did you think about that whole experience? <laughs> um, it was different. I didn't really know what to expect. Cause yeah, because it was kind of a, a blind date. Yes. 
I mean, we'd met before because we met, I guess, over Christmas. And I was there by myself because my roommates were all traveling for a basketball team or away game for the basketball team. And since it was J term, I was there by myself. And then we drove, you drove to Shawnee and then we drove to Oklahoma City. So it was a lot of miles yeah, for you. Because if you know anything about Shawnee, there's not, well, back then there was not a whole lot of restaurants. There was a Santa Fe in the mall. Yeah. If that's, you can call it a mall. So we went to Texas Roadhouse and we ironically have one now in Stillwater. Yeah, now we have one in Stillwater. We're big time. Um, but I mentioned in the book that you ordered a sweet potato. Yes, which at the time I did not think was. Um, I thought was odd. Noteworthy. I thought was odd. Odd enough to put it in a book, but it turns out it's really not that odd of a thing, at all. Because most Americans eat them at Thanksgiving. Well, I thought that's only when people ate sweet potatoes was at Thanksgiving. I Except didn't. for you, who obviously didn't. Yeah. So that's that was. But now you eat them and like them. I so like them a lot I'm more so than potatoes. Glad to broaden your horizons with food. Yeah, and so then we moved to Dallas. We got married, not not right after the date. <laughs> so you didn't like me, actually. Well, we liked each other, but I lived in Stillwater, hour away. Yes, and I just wasn't didn't want to drive back and forth. And I, I didn't want to drive back and forth. It just wasn't the time, right timing. No, it wasn't. And so that was that. And then six months later, about yeah, uh-huh. and we don't want to give too much away because we want people to read the book. But yeah, yeah we. We, we went on our second first date. Or yes. Is that what we call and it? And then you took me for sushi, which was, that was good. Yeah. That was a bold move because I didn't know if you liked sushi. Lucky for you, I did. Sealed the deal. And we got married that next night. <laughs> Just kidding. So we dated for a while and then we got married. And then um, you finished up your grad work at OSU in Stillwater. And then we got married and were married that last, was it a semester? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that final semester. And then we moved to Dallas so I could start seminary. I don't want to talk about Dallas other than the food. That was, that was, that's what I miss. That was the best part of our marriage. That's really was the only food. reason we go back to Texas. <laughs> we, we make trips to Texas they, to eat. They center around restaurants pretty much. Well, and the family. Yeah. We like to see family down there. But, of course, because um, they might listen to this. And but it's, we, need, we love you. The food as well. But yeah. We have a lot of favorite restaurants down there. A lot. And Though that, unfortunately, I guess a lot of them closed from what I heard, unfortunately, on the call. Oh yeah, where we lived. Because they didn't have the, the lunch rush from those... COVID. Companies during COVID. Yeah. Sad day. Well, guess we, we don't, don't need to go back. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm glad I don't live down there because I got fat. That was like the fattest I ever was. Uh, I don't know if you remember. A lot of Mexican food. That was too much Mexican food. So, and we move along in the book, and the whole chapter one is kind of just an introduction to us and who we are and just average people. And remember when we left Stillwater and we were driving? We were in the U-Haul van. I remember we just left town on 51, and I don't know what we were, why we were talking about it, but you said, like, something to the effect, like, I don't have a testimony and I remember you being like, I've never even broken a bone or something like that. Uh, that's not what I said because I broke both my arms, like kindergarten, first grade. Like, maybe you said, was not maybe you said that's bone. the only thing that's ever bad happened to you. Was you. No, because I had meningitis. Like, that doesn't... Hmm. I wasn't <laughs> I, there in the truck, was I? <laughs> no, but I did. But I, did I did. Say. I did say that I didn't really have a testimony. Like, I've never really had 
a lot of hardship or, you know. Except for those broken bones. Except for those childhood broken bones. Those were rough. I mean, couldn't play Red Rover as a kid. Yeah. And I remember being like, well, that's nice because my whole life has just been a mess with bone disease and whatever. But anyway, I remember saying, I think I remember now, I don't know, just being like, well, that is your testimony. Your testimony is that by the grace of God, nothing bad's ever happened. And then fast forward a few years, bad things started happening. And so then in the chapter, slowly things start happening and you were diagnosed with, what's it called? Uh, PCOS. Which stands for? Polycystic ovarian syndrome, which just kind of caught us off guard because I don't really have any of the symptoms for it. Like I'm not your typical, you just wouldn't think I would have it. Um, and we actually found it first because I was losing all my hair, which wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. I remember you went blind, but that was because of migraines. Yeah. That but was um, So, yeah, so we had that. So then that's when we found out that we were going to have difficulty getting pregnant. And so we kind of went a different route on life plans. Yeah, and that was the first type of mayhem that struck us as a married couple. That was the first kind of bad thing that happened in our relationship. And then it got worse. And then I remember, and and you've read the book three times before it actually was published. You haven't even read the book since it's been published. But you've read what's in the book. And every time you've read it, chapter one's been a hard, hard chapter for you because we had a miscarriage. That was our first one. Mm-hmm. And I talk about how I went to go get a haircut. You had some spotting, no big deal, because, you know, it's our first time ever being pregnant. And we didn't know you could really have a miscarriage. Didn't know it was that big of a deal or think something that happens that often. So we were kind of naive there. And then I describe it in the book, and that's kind of hard to talk about. Yeah, I think I was just kind of blindsided by it because I didn't have any indications anything was wrong or any any symptoms or signs or anything. Um, and it just kind of happened all of a sudden. So, And it was the first one. And so, yeah, it definitely caught me off guard. Well, and what's crazy is... We never knew anyone that had a miscarriage. But then after it was over, so many people we knew were like, I know what you're going through. I had one. And it's like, this happens a lot and people don't talk about it. I think with our generation is when it really became something that people talk about a lot more openly and a lot more freely than they used to, Mm -hmm. which I think is a wonderful thing. Yeah, because... It happens to everybody. And we handled it all the wrong way. Like I mentioned, we suppressed it and just... Moved on. Yeah. And then well, we had a lot going on too. Like the next day, I mean, that week was graduation, and we were leaving the country, and I mean, it was just. And then we came back, and I had appendicitis. Yes, there was a lot going on in that ten-day window. So. Do you want to tell everyone about that appendicitis story? And how you're a baby, and you need to just suck it up. I just need to suck it up. I'm sorry. Ever since we got married, you just get sick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I took care of you afterwards. Yes. After I almost died. I spent the night in that scary hospital. Yes. Vending machine. (laughs) Vending machine. Did it come alive? No, but there were scary people down there. Okay. Yes. I I don't know. I was sleeping soundly in my bed. You've seen that hospital. I have. So the miscarriage, we thought PCOS was bad, but we kind of whatever. And then the miscarriage happened. And that was really, I think, when we started. I know me 
really wrestling with God and like, what's your deal? You're supposed to be good to us. I'm in seminary. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm giving up whatever. You're giving up whatever to be a pastor's wife, maybe. At that point, we thought maybe I'd go on and get my PhD um, and be like a professor. That would be weird. But I remember we lost a baby and being upset with God and being like, thinking about Colossians versus in him, he holds all things together. I'm like, how could you not hold our baby together? And just kind of wrestling with the goodness of God, but then also the crud that was playing out in our life and in our marriage and having to watch you hurt. And I've hurt a lot in my life, but that's different. It's when you watch someone you love hurt and you're powerless to help them. And so you can't do anything, so you have to depend on God, and then it feels like God doesn't care. And I know that was a difficult time when we wrestling with God in a relationship, not just me personally with God, but as a married couple wrestling with God. Well, and that, yeah, it was a lot of uncertainty um, that summer, constantly not knowing where we were going to be, what we were doing, constantly thinking, am I turning in my two weeks notice? Are we about to leave? Are we going to move? What's going on? Then I thought I was pregnant again. Then I thought I had a miscarriage. Then it was an ectopic. Then it's emergency surgery. Then it's devastating loss again to where now it's even fewer chances of getting pregnant. I mean, it was like snowball, snowball, snowball. Yeah, because what's not in the book is that ectopic. That and you lost the fallopian tube. Yeah, that was, I mean... You were like dying and we didn't know it. You were bleeding internally. I rushed you to the hospital and like, oh, we need to do surgery. I've been working all day. Like, oh, okay. I thought I was going to a football game. (laughs) Yeah, the OSU Texas game had to go on without us. We had other things to do. So I think that there was a lot that just kind of snowballed that summer. And I think this is obviously anyone who's been to Dallas, lives in Dallas, knows that not only is the food awesome but there's super like cheap drinks happy hour and uh, i think during this time with all the junk going on was a way that probably both were coping with it probably the wrong way with alcohol not that we were like super crazy with it but we kind of let it enter into our life and without realizing it it can really snowball like anything that is a substance like that and but also what was revving up was your BPD, which we had no idea and didn't even know that was a thing. BPD is borderline personality disorder. It's also called borderline disorder. Um, sometimes I just say borderline. So, But that was starting to rev up, which it happens a lot people who are in their mid-20s. And that's where we were at this time. And then we get into the part of the chapter that's called the 10-year plan. And this is the last section. And this is kind of where the book starts pushing the reader, I think. And that was my goal. Up to this point, it's just been an introduction. Who's in the book? It's us. And we got married. And life is good and starts not being so good. And then all of a sudden, we get into chapter, or sorry, we get to the end of the chapter. And it's called 10-year plan. And there's a story there where I'm, We're now in Stillwater, back in Stillwater, and I'm a pastor. It's been a few years, and I'm meeting with an elder, and he's asking me what my 10-year plan is, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to do this, this, and this in 10 years, and 
like anybody, we have plans, right? We have dreams in life. And um, sometimes suffering just jumps in there and wrecks everything. And your 10-year plan is not going to work out the way you had originally planned. It kind of stinks because you see other people and it looks like, oh, man, their life is just falling into place. They got their 10-year plan. Yeah, I think um, in some ways, like, I mean, I obviously look back and think, oh, man, what a mess. But one thing that kind of I look back and through all of this, one thing I can look at now and see is my 10-year plan before 10 years ago had a lot of perfectionism. This will be this. This will be this. My children will do this. I will have this set up. We are going to... Our family will look a certain yes, way. Yes, I had all these preconceived... Um, views and beliefs and things and thankfully I let a lot of those things go throughout this process and now I can look and while I may not have a 10-year plan or have a set I mean a broad 10-year plan but not flexible it's very flexible and that allows me to appreciate things and be much more grateful and content with where we are now and not disappointed or frustrated that I'm not where I'm supposed to be at my 10-year mark or whatever. It allows me to be content and grateful at, man, look at this. Here's where we are. Might not be where I thought I'd be in 10 years from 10 years ago, but... Like in a closet? (laughs) Yes, like in a closet. (laughs) But hey, I look around and I like my closet, so there's that. It fits both of us. It's a lot better than the closet I was in 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I was in our closet in Texas, so there's oh, yeah. that. Hey, read the book to know what she's talking about. Oh, dear. Um, there's something to be grateful for. So, see, there's that whole glass is half full. And you, if you read the book, you'd know that, too. So, yeah, I think that there's that not have There's the flexibility that's come with my 10-year plan has changed a lot, and I'm grateful for that because... There's a lot of perfectionism that I've allowed to let go. Things start changing in your 10-year plan. It's not easy to say, oh, I'm glad that changed. In the moment, you want to do everything you can to hang on to it and save it and preserve it and to fight for your plan. And you know, and even if you think, oh, God's changing things, we, we're kind of dumb. We think, oh, we're going to fight God, and it's going to be our way, not his way. Um, but we also make the point in this last section that no matter what you're suffering with, there's a whole nother layer of suffering. So when I talk about suffering, I just mean the loss of something, the loss of anything. If I stub my toe, I've lost comfort, you know, or if I've broken my leg, I may overcome, you know, my leg's going to heal, but maybe I was an athlete and I'm not going to get that scholarship anymore. So now I'm suffering on a whole nother level. I'm suffering a loss of a future. And a lot of times when we suffer, we lose something and in our case we lost how we thought life was supposed to go and we did everything we could especially in chapters two and three you see me just vainly trying to save everything because i didn't want to accept that life as i knew it was over that my plan wasn't going to happen that our plan wasn't going to happen so god he kind of shattered our dream using a disorder, a personality disorder. And maybe God isn't wanting to use a disorder in your life, but one thing is for sure is he wants to bring his order to your life. He wants 
us to stop living for our dream life and start living his dream for our life. And this bottom line means we surrender. And I think this is why it's so hard because who wants to surrender? Who wants to give up control when we all want to be in control? And I think that's kind of where the book is going um, is towards discipleship. How do we be disciples? How do we follow Jesus when we don't really want to go where he's leading us? And to be a disciple doesn't mean you get to pick and choose when you follow and when you don't. Being a fully devoted disciple, which is kind of which is our church's mission, right? We go to a church and their mission is leading others to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. But you can't be fully devoted if you're only going to follow them half the time. To be fully devoted means all the time, which means I'm not only going to follow Jesus into these good moments, but I'm going to follow Jesus into these dark places that I don't know what's waiting for me on the other side. And that takes surrender. It means you surrender not only the dream you have for your life sometimes, but we surrender our life. The book is about discipleship and suffering as a means God uses to make us look like Jesus who suffered more than we can ever imagine. So this is the Austins and we are signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. Hopefully next time I'm a little... Hopefully we're both better. Yeah. This is different. Again. But it's nice not talking to my clothes.